Horse and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I hope everyone's doing okay. We've been reporting on lockdown loosening for a couple of months, but now we're obviously all being affected by the worsening COVID situation here in the UK. We record this podcast intro on a Tuesday and at the moment we're just waiting to hear details of the increased restrictions. But on a brighter note, this week our guest is the event rider Imogen Murray. She'll be introducing us to her phenomenal five-star horse, Ivor Gooden. He knows when he's at the big shows. He is at his best at badminton and Berlin. Anything else is slightly beneath him. I'll also be chatting to our news team about recreational drugs, digital passports and young horse classes. And we'll catch up on the news from the big international horse trials at Burnham Market. Finally, Super Groom Alan Davies gives us his expert advice on rugging horses. It's a good topic to discuss. It's one I'm always asked about, how we do it and what we do. You have to cater for each individual horse, what their stabling is like, how much they get turned out. So screw in your studs and let's get going. and welcome to this week's guest interview. I am Horse and Hounds Hannah Lemieux and I'm delighted to be joined by event rider Imogen Murray. Hello Imogen and thanks for joining us. No problem I mean, it's, it's always exciting to have a go with something a little bit different. Great and uh, today you're going to be uh, talking to us about uh, your, your top five-star horse Ivor Gooden aka Charles uh, who's featured in this week's Horse and Hound in our Ones to Watch series. Um, so Imogen just, just tell us first of all how, how Ivor Gooden came to be in your, in your yard. So he came to be in my yard in a little bit of a roundabout way, um, I guess. A really good family friend of ours um, actually was drinking in the pub um, with his owners and she came to me and said she was looking for a horse um, for herself just to do like lo- really low level hacking out and like a real pleasure horse and she said oh met this guy in the pub um, he said he's got a horse can you come with me to go and have a look at it so they got him out the stable and we were like that is definitely not a horse for you but he looks really really smart so we had a little look at him trot up and down he was four years old they didn't have anybody to ride him. So I basically said to them, look, if you want anyone to ride him, then give me a call. And a couple of days later, they gave me a call and I went over and sat on him and I've ridden him ever since. And am I right in saying he's named after his owner? Uh, yeah, so his owner's called Ivor and he's named after him basically, yeah. And, and what was he like to ride as a, as a young horse? Um, So he's a little bit cheeky and he could be quite naughty when he was younger, uh, which is always a bit slightly entertaining for me. But he's always been exceptionally talented and exceptionally competitive. He's just taken a long time for us to channel that always in the right direction or should I say more often in the right direction than the wrong direction. Yeah, and what was he like to to produce over those years, going up the grades? Um, so he actually has quite a checkered record, um, competitively over the years until he was sort of nine years old, uh, where he just basically he quite run out quite a lot. Um, he went through a phase of just knocking one show jump down all the time, and he went through a phase of being very naughty in the dressage as well. But like I say, I from the minute I rode him, I always hoped he would be a really really good five-star horse and he eventually settled down and grew up a little bit and we channeled him 
and he learned all the things he needed to learn to be a top horse and fortunately he's been amazing ever since yeah absolutely and patience paid off because you you've been regulars at both badminton and, and burley over the past few years um sadly obviously not in 2020 but what was what was it like at your first five star with him back in um 2017 yeah so he was only 10 when he went to his first five star at badminton which is quite young to be going to badminton and i think that year they had a terrible completion rate on the cross country um, <laughs> so I was pretty nervous he'd never obviously competed at that level before um, so it was all really new and he just so rose to the occasion and he absolutely loved it and he flew around and I was a bit like I never thought it could feel that easy especially when everybody else was having so many problems on the cross country um, and it was just an amazing feeling really and he's he's improved every time at that level ever since and I think even at the time I thought if this is as good as it gets then I'll be happy but every time he's, he's better again. And as you say he wasn't the easiest horse to ride as a youngster um, he's now 13 uh, do you think he's he's mellowed with age in you know in his older age at all? Um, yeah no I definitely think he's he's calmed down a lot with <laughs> with age which thankfully I don't think I could have coped with him if he hadn't but no, he definitely, he gets more professional as he's learned the job and he knows what it's all about. He has definitely become more professional in his older years. Um, for an event horse, he, he's probably in his prime at the moment, which is quite a nice thing to enjoy. But no, he's definitely calmed down and he's he's become more predictable in a way, I suppose would be the best way to describe him as he's got older, which is a lot easier for me, especially when walking courses and things like that I know him so well now and he's so consistent that I know what he's going to do which is a nice thing whereas when he was going through his slightly more difficult years he was never quite sure quite what he was going to try and do on the on the course. And um, in terms of training at home what what do you tend to do with him? So he does quite a lot of dressage practice at home because that's sort of his weakest phase um, but he's got a quite a difficult one to work with because he knows he's not a competition and because he really lives for like the big shows and, and the crowds and things like that he just is quite minimal effort when he's at home so it's hard to know like sort of where you're at with him because you're sort of trying to encourage him all the time to try a little bit harder um but for him as well being reasonably experienced at the top level he sort of knows all the things he needs to know it's a case of improving them so for him as well because he can be a little bit grumpy when he's at home um, it's a case of really keeping him happy and so doing a little bit of variety with him as well so he'll do plenty of sort of like cantering around the fields and we've got um, a little cross-country course at home so he does quite a lot of going down there and having a little play down there um, he likes his hacking out um, so he really does do just a little bit of everything just to keep him happy um, really he's definitely much nicer to deal with when he's happy yeah and so is he a kind of a horse that rises to the, the big occasions kind of what, describe what he's like on a on a competition day at, the, at those big events oh like definitely he is at his best at badminton and burley um, anything else is slightly beneath him um, we actually joke we call him sir charles at home <laughs> because 
<laughs> that's his opinion of himself. <laughs> he he loves it. Like he knows when he's at the big shows. Like and he's he's been to badminton and Burley a couple of times now. And he knows when he arrives there and he is the so excited and he's definitely at his happiest on cross country day or essentially after the dressage is finished <laughs> because he knows that that's what's coming next. Brilliant. And um, just summarise what, what he means to you and how he's helped you in your riding career. I mean, there's not enough words to say how amazing he's been um, for my career, really. Um, he's been a horse that put me on the map as far as sort of getting noticed and, and anything else and really kick-started my career um, in eventing. Like I had a horse before him that I took to Burley, but nothing quite like sort of him. And it's been a really nice journey together because I got him when I was 18. So when I was just starting out sort of professionally and we've really learned together and to be able to showcase that sort of relationship and the horse he is. And to be honest, I'm really, really grateful to his owners because he is such a class horse and they could have sent him to someone with a lot more experience than me. Um, and they've stuck with me from the start and given me the opportunity to sort of learn with him and, and do the best we can. And I mean, I'll be forever grateful for that. And your goals for the rest of this season and, and next year, can you tell us a bit about, about those? Yeah, so obviously this season has been a little bit of a difficult one. Um, it's the first year he's, he's not gone to Badminton and Burnley for, since his first time. Um, so we have looked at the options of going to Poe um, at the end of the season. So we're not quite sure what we're going to be doing there. But hopefully next year we'll be uh, prepped and ready to go to Badminton again. Fingers crossed. Um, well, Imogen, thank you so, so much for uh, for joining us on the Horse and Hound podcast. It's, it's been really interesting and uh, you clearly have such a wonderful, you know, partnership with, with him. And uh, we really hope to welcome you back on the podcast soon. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for listening to me. I'm joined today by four of my horse and hound colleagues to discuss this week's news. We have our news editor, Eleanor Jones. Hello, Eleanor. Hello. And our senior news writer, Lucy Elder. Hi, Lucy. Hi. And our news writer, Becky Murray. Hi, Becky. Hi, Peppa. Becky, did you say you'd be bathing Shetlands this weekend? I feel like I need to know more about that. <laughs> That's right. Um, my little miniature Shetlands, Mooty and Poppet, um, they got, well, we had some rare sunshine in towards the end of September, for which nice change for Scotland. So yes, they got their last bath of the year, much to their disgust. Do you use a hose or a bucket or all of the above? All of the above, and I have to hold on tight to them or I tend to get dragged around with them. I understand that. My mum was telling me how good our Connemara is about being bathed recently. And she was like, oh, he just stands there. Well, I tell you, he doesn't just stand there with me. If I let him go, he goes trotting <laughs> off around the field. <laughs> so I feel your pain. Eleanor, you were out to show last week as well, weren't you? Yeah, and if I ever come on here again and say I'm planning to take both my horses to a show on my own uh, in future, then someone needs to say, no, don't do that. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Uh-oh, what happened? <laughs> oh, they're just, it's, you know, they don't even like each other that much at home, but you take them to a show and try and take one away to jump and the other one is, gets really cross and trying to swap them over is always fun. Um, but it was good. One of my mares won her class, so 
It was oh, all good. Very good. We always like to come home with a rosette. <laughs> um, and as well as our news team, I'm also pleased that we've got Catherine Austin here with us. Um, Catherine, you're just in from hunting and probably still in your britches? <laughs> no, I'm not actually. I, I have managed to put a pair of jeans on. I only went for two hours this morning, so I was done and dusted by... 8.30. Oh, and still at your desk at nine and uh, ready to record podcast with us. Oh, yes. Excellent. Now, Catherine, you were our woman on the ground at the Barefoot Retreats Burnham Market last week. It was the biggest horse trials in Britain this year in terms of the fact that it ran the only four-star long of 2020 in the UK this year. How did it go? What was the atmosphere like? There wasn't a lot of atmosphere. I mean, it was a good event. It had very, very good entries and a massive thank you from all of us, riders, owners, media, anyone you can think of to Alec Lahore and his team at Burnham Market for running such a big horse trials at short notice. But it was very strange, you know, a three day event involves so much razzmatazz and atmosphere and people. And without people, you don't really have razzmatazz and atmosphere. So a Norfolk can feel quite empty at the best of times and uh, a three-day event behind closed doors in Norfolk did feel quite empty. Yeah, it can be quite bleak standing on that hill at Burnham Market in the spring. I've been to that event a few times. And um, were a lot of people wearing masks? What was sort of the form on that front? I certainly saw some mask pictures at the trot-ups. Yes, everyone at the trot-up was wearing a mask. Um, everyone who was in close proximity to anyone else at pinch points, i.e. around the main arena, um, up on the viewing mount on the top of the cross country, you know, various places around the stables, there was there was plenty of mask wearing. I think if people were walking the cross country course on their own, you know, 100 yards from someone else, they probably took their mask off then. But there was plenty of social distancing and plenty of mask wearing. It sounds like a, a good common sense approach. And tell us about the big winners. Who were the riders who were on form in that showcase long format class? So Izzy Taylor won Britain's only long format four star this year, which is something no one's ever, hopefully, ever going to be able to say again. She was riding um, her own and Mark Sartori's very smart nine-year-old monkeying around, who is a horse that he won the six-year-old world championship at Le Leon d'Angers three years ago. And he's conspicuously talented he knows he's talented he knows he's good and he's not called monkeying around for no reason he has proven to be quite cheeky on occasions and i've certainly seen him have the old run outs but as he says he's grown up so much and he's got stronger and and you forget that he's still a young horse because he's done so much and he aced it you know you cannot do any better at any event than to lead from the front and be stay in the lead after the dressage through the show jumping and to the end of the cross country mm, really impressive result from him and as you say he's still a still a young horse and then of course there was the specific young horse section the eight and nine year old four star short which is always obviously it normally runs at blenheim but it's always such an exciting section every year and so many of the winners of that have gone on to to be stars of the future who caught your eye in that class well, Izzy Taylor jolly nearly won that as well. She was in the lead after the first two phases on Camilla Barron's Hartacker, who's an eight-year-old who only started eventing last season. And he was in the lead and going well and going fast across country. And he just ran past a corner, the green mistake for which we can all forgive him. But he was very eye-catching. 
Yasmin Ingham, young 23-year-old Yasmin Ingham, won the class on a French-bred horse called Banzai du Loire, who is super, really the real deal, has it all, um, and proved he can gallop as well. She was, you know, inside the time on the cross-country. He was faultless in the show jumping and did a good dressage test with plenty more to come. They're both stars, both Yasmin and that young horse. A horse that I really loved was Sarah Bullimore's Coralway, who is a homebred of hers out of Lily Corrine, whom she rode at championship level and five-star level, uh, by Balu Derue. And he's cool. He's only 15 too. He's a real sharp, little, cheeky chestnut character who has all the jump in the world. And he might be small, but he's mighty. <laughs> Great to hear that. And uh, we all love a little horse who's a, who's a real pocket rocket. And finally, the winner of the regular four-star short. That was a pretty special story as well. Yeah, some wonderful... Uh, Kilner Brad and Evo, who has won so many international competitions with Oliver Townends. I think eight international wins. I mean, a lot of horses would never do eight international classes in their lives. Um, he won the four-star short at Burnham Market, uh, and he has won a four-star short at Burnham Market before, and he was retired immediately after that, which I thought was lovely. You know, he's been a great horse. Um, as Oliver said, he has always batted above himself really there are more talented event horses but very few who will try so hard and have been so consistent and given so much pleasure to his owner sally ann eginton mm, and lovely to see him go out at the top on a win and he's not a particularly old horse but obviously the, the owner and rider thought that was the right thing for him which is good to see thank you catherine it's it's exciting to hear about that that real high level sport at burnham market and that's such a novelty in this tricky year before we move on, I'm going to give a special shout out here to Lucy Elder because she won the Horse and Hound Staff League on Eventing Manager, <laughs> which is the app where you can can play along. It's a sort of fantasy football style app set up by the data analytics company Equi Ratings, and everyone has to choose their team. It was a run on the the long format class at Burnham Market, and I set up a Horse and Hound Staff League, and Lucy Elder was the winner. So well done, Lucy. <laughs> Thank you, Pippa. <laughs> Eleanor, we're coming to you. Um, we have a story in the magazine this week about recreational drug use by riders, not horses, I hasten to add. Um, can you tell me what's that story about? Yeah, I mean, that would be a completely uh, different story if it was horses. Uh, so, yeah, this is the, the World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA is changing its stance um, in reducing uh, suspension for social drug use and as an Olympic sports body the FEI has to go with it and so it also has to reduce uh, sanctions for recreational drug use. And what sort of changes in, in sanctions are we talking about? So the suspension will be going down from four years to one to three months and that's if they can prove that the use was out of competition and that they didn't mean to enhance their sport performance. Okay, so that's quite a big, quite a big difference. What sort of issues are being raised? What's the reaction to that? Do people think it's positive or, or not so much? No, I mean, so the FEI has said it's concerned. Obviously, they need to consider safety of horse and rider because equestrianism is a risk sport, um, and and they believe that this sanction is too low because if you if you as a rider do a an approved drug rehab course, the ban can go down to just one month. So yeah, some quite serious safety concerns. Hmm, that's that's interesting and a bit of a worry, but it seems like something that we just have to roll with as part of that wider sort of sporting scene at the moment. Thank you, Eleanor. 
And coming to you now, Lucy, for a very different story. I feel like we've been so focused on COVID-19 this year that I've forgotten all about Brexit, but of course it hasn't gone away. And you've been investigating some developments around movement of horses across borders. Yes, that's right. And as you said, it is with the strange strangeness of this year and how odd time feels in general, it is quite... Yeah, or I'd almost forgotten about Brexit too, but it is it is coming and there is going to be new requirements to grapple with when the transition period ends at the end of this year. So the new EU animal health law is coming into force in January and there are a few concerns around what that could mean for moving horses between Britain and EU nations. And so the story I've been writing about this week, which is is proposals for digital passports, and there's quite a lot of hope that those are going to help with easing of movements between um, between UK and, and EU nations after Brexit. And Lucy, is the feedback generally positive on this digital passport idea? Yes, it is. Um, I spoke to quite a lot of people this week about it because I was. it was the first I'd heard of it when it landed in my inbox last week. And the idea is from the International Horse Sports Confederation, which has representatives from lots of different key key players in European and British equestrian sports and, and beyond. And so I spoke to DEFRA, British Equestrian, British Horse Racing Authority and World Horse Welfare because I wanted to get a really sort of... Um, a wide view on what it was going to mean and that overall the the feedback has been positive so far uh, we haven't got a huge amount of details about how these digital passports could work yet but there certainly is hope that that it's going to help ease ease that movement mm, so is it just a case of watching this space now and, and waiting to hear the next stages in the plan a little bit um but early indications are that this these new digital passports will go above and beyond the requirements set out in the new EU animal health law that's coming coming into force at the start of next year. And there's hopes that it will give authorities, they've said, fail-safe information on horses' identity, sort of real-time monitoring and movement and ownership, as well as up-to-date vaccination medical records with a long-term aim to create a network of databases that would register horses' identity, enable them to be easily located and identified, and would ensure secure movement anywhere in Europe. So while it is a little bit of watch and wait, I mean, the time frame is is quite soon. And and it so, yeah, hopefully we won't be watching and waiting for too long. And this is going to be quite an exciting and useful, useful development for not only the racing, breeding, sport horse industries, but also in protecting horses, as Rolio has said, who's the chief executive of World Horse Welfare, protecting those horses that move below the radar um, such as those being transported non-compliantly for sale and slaughter. So let's hope this could be quite quite a groundbreaking piece of innovation. Good to hear that positive news. Becky, we're coming to you finally, last but not least today, and we're talking about young horse classes because you've been chatting to people about the new Next Gen series, haven't you? What's been happening there? Yes, so the Next Gen series was an exciting new addition to the calendar this year for four to six-year-old horses. Qualifiers started in July and last week the finals were held at Hickstead. Great. And what's different? Obviously, we have a lot of young horse classes out there. Eventing is the scene that I know best, but we have the Burley Young Event Horse. We have the British Eventing Young Horse Classes. So this isn't, you know, the first young horse class ever to come along. And and we have different young horse classes in the other sports too. But what's different about this one? 
Well, the Next Gen series is unaffiliated and it incorporates all three Olympic disciplines um, with the final at Hickstead, bringing them all together in that one place. They also had the team from British Breeding there looking for candidates for the Equine Bridge, which aims to support the development of potential team horses of the future. Hmm. So something that really anybody can can have a go at and enter with that, that unaffiliated sort of moniker against it. And what was the rider feedback about it? It's been very positive. Um, riders really praised the fact it was well organised and they liked the fact it was on surfaces at Hickstead and they found it very educational for young horses. Eliza Stoddart, who won the six-year-old eventing final on Codebreaker, really touched on the fact it's giving riders more choice, um, which allows them to treat those horses as individuals and choose which event is appropriate for that horse. And that's really important in young horse classes, isn't it? Because, you know, young horses do develop at different speeds and, and we don't want to press them too hard. And the different classes as you say have have different formats in terms of whether it's sort of a real cross-country experience or it's something that's on a surface like this and and and, and whether a young horse is, is ready for each of those different sort of tests at different different times in its life. That's right and that's something the dressage rider Darren Hicks really spoke about you know he said these young horses are young horse classes are great for preparing horses for these types of environments but he also highlighted just because you have a four-year-old, um, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to rush out and do a four-year-old class. It's down to making sure the horse is ready for that level of work. And Darren himself said some of the, the horses on his yard are, but he certainly has some who perhaps need that bit more time before he takes them out. Well, great to hear that riders are taking their horses into consideration there and doing the right thing for the equine athlete at each stage. It'll be interesting to see how that series develops in the future. Thank you, everybody, for joining me today. We had such a great variety of stories to pick over. And of course, there's more on all of those reports in the 24th of September issue of Horse and Hound. So now we go over to Alan Davies. Alan is a super groom to Carl Hester and Charlotte Dujardin, so he has so much expertise and he's here to give us some insight. Okay, so this episode, it was suggested I'd talked about rugging. It's, it's quite a hot topic of conversation. There's so many different types of rugs on the market and people often ask me, what we do and how we rug our horses and I mean I mean I'm sat here actually in the next to the field watching my Shetland ponies at the moment and people often ask me how I rug them for showing and I mean the the mountain mornings I don't rug in the winter but in the summer you know they have fly rugs and summer sheets um I do love a cotton summer sheet a nice thin cotton summer sheet which you can um, wash quickly and easily it keeps the coats good it keeps um, the dust off and everything in the summer and I tend to use them then in the winter as well underneath are all their other rugs and as to what we do about rugging autumn winter time it's very much individual horses I mean our yard is a very open yard um, Carl designed it in a courtyard didn't want it covered didn't want an indoor barn they've got windows at the back of the stable so they get a lot of air so um, we do when they're clipped out fully clipped out in the winter we do have to rug them so that usually starts sort of depending if they need clipping for the nationals in September or not and it will start September October um, and again it's on the actual individual horse summer hot horses they don't like too many rugs and they coat really well up Allegro is quite a, a naturally warm horse he doesn't like 
too many rugs. He doesn't like to be too warm. And then Utopia, being a stallion, he's had the most beautiful coat all his career. And um, quite often I used to put him... I'm a bit old-fashioned and I would put a Whitney blanket on in about October to keep his coat right for Olympia and um, a couple of times I took him to Olympia and not clipped um, and just had him in a summer sheet, a Whitney blanket and a top rug. Um, whereas Allegro, you have to clip him right out. He's a very hairy horse um, but doesn't like to be too hot so he can cope with sort of two rugs. And Freestyle, she's a very hot-blooded young lady so she doesn't like to have too many rugs on either. So again, it's sort of, um, you have to cater for each individual horse, where they're, what their stabling is like, how much they get turned out. People often ask me about um, neck covers. I have to be very careful with neck covers on our horses. Vallegro didn't have a neck cover on him um, when he was competing because he's got such a thin mane. Um, if it got rubbed out, then I'd be in huge trouble if I didn't have plaits all the way down his neck when he's going off to do the World Cup shows. Charlotte's been very particular about her turnout. So if they get turned out, they will have a neck cover. But I tend to use a lightweight one as possible. Keep it very clean. Don't let it get greasy because then that can um, often pull the hair out and break it. And I keep the mane as clean as possible in the winter and keep it sprayed with a conditioner. So they tend to always have a, a neck cover on for turnout in the winter. As everyone knows, Carl has to like his horses going out in the field a lot, which is lovely for them, I know, but um, it can be a nightmare when they're rocking and rolling out in the muddy fields and then we've got to bring them in and they're going to have a photo shoot. I've got to go to a show or something. But um, it's manageable. Um, and with the rugs these days, they keep them warm and dry. And, yeah, as I say, it's, it's, it's all tailoring to the individual. Some of my horses I have to rug up really well. Uh, like Carl's horse on Virgo, it's actually Charlotte's, but Carl is riding him at the moment. Um, he's a big, although he's, they call him hot because he's very goey and he's a little crazy, he's um, actually, he's quite a cold-blooded horse and you have to really keep him covered so his muscles don't seize up. So, yeah, you really have to think about your turnout regime, your exercise regime and what your individual horse is like. And if, you know, maybe in the winter, if you're not riding so much and you're going to give a blanket clip and you're not going to ride them so much, then you won't need to rug so much. Um, and then literally the other day here, the weather was really crazy and it was really um, warm and muggy but yet it was um, raining so we had to turn a few of the horses out without rugs on because you know a rain rug was going to make them sweat then the fly rug was going to be pointless because it was just going to get soaking wet and it would be on their backs cold so um, I just made the decision that it was just kinder to turn them out with nothing so they went out they thought it was fantastic they all went out rolled and created um, absolute Mary Watsits in the fields and we just had to bath them when they came in so yeah it's a it's a good topic to discuss it's it's one I'm always asked about how we do it and what we do um, it's difficult for me to advise other people unless I know how their horse is what the work they're doing is how they turn them out when they're bringing them in what the stables are like so you just have to really think about your own horse his own likes and dislikes and um, go from there Thank you, Alan. Next week, Alan will be back to tell us all about flying horses. 
I know we're all fascinated by what happens when horses and planes meet. We'll also have all the week's news and an interview with new national show jumping champion Louise Saywell, who will reminisce about her pony days and tell us about coming back from breaking her hand. Thank you for joining us today and don't forget to rate, review and share the podcast to help us spread the word. Talk to you next time. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.